everyone. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Thursday morning healing service from Crowhurst Christian Healing Centre. I hope you've enjoyed a wonderful Easter, because Easter is only just behind us. My name, of course, is Suzanne. I'm one of the chaplains here at the centre. And as always, for a Thursday morning healing service, if you or somebody you know needs prayer, then do feel free to submit their name. You can ring the office with a name or you can put it on Facebook in the comments or on YouTube in the comments. Uh, just the first name though, and um, we don't need any details because of course God knows. So if you would like to have names um, put on our altar for prayer over the next three months, then feel free to do that. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. May this declaration resound not only in these walls, but touch the lives of all we meet and forever be the truth of which we speak. Your love once sown within a garden, tended for your own people, neglected and rejected now spreads its sweet perfume in this place and in your place, wherever it's shown. Hallelujah. Jesus is risen. He's risen indeed. Amen. I wonder if you've heard of the phrase, the penny dropped. Interesting saying, isn't it? And it's generally um, thought to be um, said, used in the context of when understanding has finally dawned. Somebody might tell a joke and somebody laughs after everybody else and says, oh, the penny's just dropped. Well, I looked up the meaning of the saying the other day and it, um, it does in fact derive from the slot machines of the old penny, the big old penny. And the penny was required to drop through the mechanisms for whatever the machine was, and it would eventually drop into the collecting chamber. And there was quite a noise as the penny dropped. And as I was looking up the meaning of this uh, phrase, I found an interesting article from 1911 in a newspaper. And it says this, a number of imitation pennies made of paper were produced in the Otley Police Court yesterday in a case in which an Otley schoolboy, and it gives his name, was charged with stealing two packets of chocolate from an automatic machine. It was stated that the machine was placed at the door of Mr. Thomas Coates' shop in Station Road, Otley. Mr. Coates said he had suffered during the past 12 months through boys inserting these paper pennies and also various kinds of base coins and brass checks and so on. He could hear from the shop when a penny dropped and as there was no sound when these paper coins were put in, he went to the door and found the boy in the act of taking out the chocolate. Four paper coins were found inside the machine. It goes on to say that the boy was convicted and had a minor sentence passed. But the shopkeeper could hear the penny drop or the absence of the penny drop. And so the phrase comes into our conversation. And I used to love it, you know, when I was teaching nurses whether it was on the wards or in the classroom, and, a, and something would be said, and a student would go, 
oh, I get it. I understand. I see. And you could see in their face as the cogs worked in their brain that suddenly they could connect all these things. And then generally speaking, after that would come the, so that means, oh, but then what about as they began to put the information into place? It's that moment of revelation, which is really good for them and it's lovely for the teacher. The moment when clarity replaces fogginess, understanding replaces confusion, connections are made, and suddenly you see. I had a penny drop moment recently, nothing quite as um, um, profound, but uh, I had to buy a new hoover. And it was one of these hoovers that uh, has got the potential for extending the hose so that you can have the hoover on the floor and you can um, dust the ceiling, dust the corners if you want to with a long hose. And you had to kind of attach and detach and reattach the hoses in order to get a long one. Could I do it? No, I couldn't. Couldn't do it. Kept looking at the picture, kept looking at what was in front of me, didn't make sense. And then suddenly I looked and I saw a little tiny button I hadn't seen before. The penny dropped and it went together beautifully, easy when you know how. Well, with Easter just behind us, I want to look at one of the resurrection appearances of Jesus, one that became the most profound penny drop moment. It's a very early resurrection appearance, and until this moment, the Gospels have only recorded, even collectively, only a few people that Jesus has seen. The two Marys, Peter, two on the road to Emmaus, and now the disciples who are gathered, as we will see. Don't you think it's interesting, though, that Jesus didn't appear to um, Herod, chief priests, Pilate, any of the people that were responsible for uh, um, making the decision that he would be crucified? He could have made himself known to them, couldn't he, and said, see? I am who I told you I am. But he doesn't do that. He restricts his appearances to his disciples and his friends. The intention, it seems to be, to strengthen the faith of those who believe. To enable a fuller revelation of who he is. And if, as you go through the Gospels, you see the eyes of the disciples gradually coming open. There's those moments, you are the son of God. But also moments of really not getting it, really not understanding. There is um, the moment after Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. They're still saying things like, show us the Father. And Jesus is saying, haven't you got it yet? Don't you know me at all, even after all this time? The penny's dropping, but it's not there yet. And when it came to the possibility of the resurrection, well, they really had no idea at all. If we were to go back a few chapters from where we're going to read today to Luke 18, Jesus talks about the Son of Man being killed and rising on the third day. And in verse 34, it says the disciples didn't understand. They had no idea what he was talking about. But it also says that the meaning was hidden from them, concealed. 
So maybe it wasn't for them to understand fully just yet. But then, to be fair, the Jewish understanding of life after death was somewhat, you might say, flimsy. Because the belief of the Jews about the afterlife in the first century was somewhat nebulous. Through most of the Hebrew text, if we were to go through the Old Testament, there isn't a sense of afterlife. All departed souls ended up in Sheol, where the psalmist says they don't worship. By the time of Jesus, thinking and belief had begun to clarify a bit to the hope that the body would have some sort of um, form after death, along with immortality of the soul. But it wasn't a belief shared by everyone. So it's no wonder the disciples had no concept of what rising again might mean. The trouble for us, I think, is that we look at Easter with the perspective of all of the years of teaching that we've had, the reading that we've had, we're on this side of the resurrection, not that side of the resurrection. And our, our stories have kind of um, accumulated. And so the understanding for us is a little bit different, I think. It's not easy for us to understand how it must have been for the disciples. No wonder then, after the crucifixion, they're lost, they're bewildered, they go to the tomb with the clear expectation that his body would be there. So let's read from Luke 24, verses 36 to 49, and the words will be on the screen. While they were still talking about this, that's about um, the two from... Um, who had come back from the Emmaus Road and telling them what they'd experienced. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. The disciples were startled. Now that word that's translated in the NIV does no justice to the real meaning. It means that they were terrified into unrealistic and irrational behavior. 
In fact, it was the kind of terror that causes someone to become psychologically detached from reality. That's terror. They were locked in a terrible state of fear. And in fact, the word for fear, emphobos, is the word from which we get phobia. So these disciples were literally scared out of their wits. Scared witless is probably a good description. Seeing Jesus was a complete and utter shock. And Jesus says to them, why are you troubled? Why are you so agitated? Why are you shaking about? Why are you going to and fro with the sense of when you should be at ease? There's no answer from the disciples. How do you speak to people who are terrified out of their wits and think they are behaving irrationally? Well, when someone's in a mental health crisis or having a panic attack, actually one of the first principles is to ground them, to remind them where they are, that they're safe and who is with them. And this essentially is what Jesus does. He grounds them and then coaxes them out of their terror by appealing to their minds and their reason. First, he spoke to them and he says, it's me. Look at me. I wonder if his voice was familiar to them. In John, when Mary Magdalene meets Jesus at the tomb, she doesn't recognize him or his voice until he speaks her name. So I'm not sure whether they recognized his voice or were they so terrified they actually couldn't, um, couldn't think about that at all. And then he said, look at my hands and my feet. He invites them to see with their eyes but he's also inviting them to see with their mind's eye. The word has spiritual depth to it, spiritual perception, but they're not ready for that. Then he says, touch me and see. Touching, another sense. This is flesh and bone, it's recognizable form. Different, but recognizable, not a ghost. And then it says again, it repeats, he showed them his hands and his feet. And I wonder if this time they begin to see the nail prints. Telling them beyond doubt it was Jesus. Not some wandering spirit. Recognition perhaps beginning to dawn. Then verse 41 is curious. It says, while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, it sounds like irrational fear that blinded them in the beginning has shifted into joy and amazement that hasn't yet blossomed into understanding, but they're in a better place. The joy and amazement has astonished them out of their senses. So they, weren't, they were scared witless to begin with, and now they're astonished out of their senses. So then Jesus carries on with the grounding and says, so have you got something to eat? And they give him some fish which he eats. You could say this is a systematic assault on their senses on the part of Jesus. It's sight, it's touch, it's their belief systems. Dead souls don't have bodies, they don't talk, they don't eat, they're not recognisable. And then Jesus comes to the final unwrapping of Revelation. They're ready for it now. He opens their minds. All 
the way, that means. All the way. He completed the process of opening their minds and their understanding. Wouldn't you have liked to have been there at that moment? Oh. He lifts the final barriers to full revelation. The penny drops. Finally, conclusively. The disciples had seen more than most of us because they'd lived with him for three years. But they were still blind to the full revelation of who he really is. You could say this was the final healing to their last bit of blindness. And then in a few words, Jesus scopes out the plan of salvation and tells them that they've got a part to play in it. Their full understanding was enabled. All they needed was the power and what they were to do to wait for it. The full and final revelation, it seems, needs the unlocking of the Holy Spirit. We can go a long way with our own reason, with our own study. But if we haven't got the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it remains a bit academic and scholarly, perhaps. Academic without the richness of relationship. And we can also have things that happen to our minds that keep us locked in places that we'd rather not be. Things that we've grown up with that um, have become entrenched and we can't see beyond them because they have become so much part of what we believe. We can get trapped in wrong thinking, trapped in confusion. So as we come to, um, towards the end of our time together, it's really an opportunity to pray that our minds would be unlocked to the full and complete revelation of who Jesus is. So let's pray. Lord, when our faith stands at the grave, grieving for a stone that's rolled away, forgive us. When our faith is short of understanding, though the truth is there to see, forgive us. When our faith, beset by doubt, sees no further than an empty tomb today. Forgive us. And bring to mind the cry of Mary, I have seen the Lord, and grant us faith to believe. So Lord, today, as you did for the disciples, would you open my mind? Open our minds. Open the minds of everybody that's listening to have a fuller sense, a fuller revelation of who you are. And Lord, if our minds need healing before that can happen, would you bring healing? If we need to give you permission Lord, would you give us the courage to do that? To dare to ask you to open our minds. And Lord, for all those 
who have sickness in their minds or in their bodies. Lord, we ask for healing. But hear the cry of our heart today, Lord, that you would open our minds. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining with me today. It's been lovely to spend this time with you. I'm going to close with the blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you. Be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace.